You know, some stories contain surprises. And some of the surprises are something like a $20 bill that you find in your pant pocket, pants you haven't worn for a little while. They're, some of these surprises are things that you forgot that you already had. There are other surprises in the Christmas story that are more like going to the beach with a metal detector and finding a piece of jewelry that was under the sand unseen until you unearthed it. Some of the surprises of the Christmas story are things you never knew that you have in Christ. We saw some Christmas treasures in the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2 last Lord's Day, and we're going to stay in Luke chapter 2 this morning to find more Christmas treasures in the verses that are before us, verses 8 through 16. This Christmas story, of course, is precious. It's great, it's true, and it's gripping. It's easy to picture if we let our mind's eye go back to the account. It's tranquil. It's, of course, miraculous. It's timeless, and it's full of treasures. The true Christmas story goes like this, Luke 2, beginning to read at verse 1. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just 
as had been told them. The Christmas story. True. Today, we're going to put the shepherds and the angels under a wonderstruck microscope. And to circle back then to verse 8, and in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. It says in the same region, that is the same region where Bethlehem was, the region that was near to Jerusalem. To be more specific, the region which was just about five and a half miles from Jerusalem. This region had a marvelous view. It was 2,543 feet above sea level, and that high elevation was 98 feet higher than even Jerusalem. (laughs) There are not many places in Israel where someone can say, let's go down to Jerusalem. Most every time we read of it in the Old Testament, people are saying, let's go up to Jerusalem. But this region had a higher elevation than even Jerusalem. Yes, the verse says, in the same region. That is the region where these shepherds pastured their sheep. It was the southern part of the Judean mountains. And boy, it was a nice postcard panorama pick on your smartphone. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Let's talk about the shepherds. They were blue-collar workers. But more accurately, they were blue-collar workers who didn't get any invitations to religious parties. Never. Blue-collar workers who were not even allowed in the Jewish temple because they had handled sheep, and all those sheep needed a shower. Dirty, smelly sheep put black dirt under a shepherd's fingernails. These blue-collar shepherds loved God, but their jobs didn't allow them to express that love in public ways that most Jews could. Yes, these shepherds were religiously undesirable because they were considered ceremonially unclean. (laughs) It was ironic, really, because the very animals that they um, handled and which rendered them unclean, those very same sheep eventually became the sacrifices which took away other persons' uncleanliness before God. It was like the five-and-a-half-mile walk down from the pasture to the priests changed everything for the sheep, but changed nothing for the shepherds. They remained social and religious outcasts. Maybe this year that's how you feel without Christ, as a religious outcast. Jesus is not your Savior yet. The great news The good news is that a faithful Savior makes far-offs family. Well, to go back to these shepherds in the Christmas story, they always had time to think. 
They had quiet to question. They had loneliness to lament. They had routine to repeat. And they had night stars to notice. And there were wide open spaces at their job sites where they could worship God. You know, I'm convinced that all of us would be a lot better off if we had these things too. Maybe we could say that the shepherds were like the unenviable men who empty septic tanks and who drive away what they extract in the septic tanker truck. Somebody has to do it, but you'd be happy if that somebody wasn't you. Parents back then didn't hope that their sons and sons-in-law would become shepherds because they were religiously unclean and because shepherds were paid very little for long hours of work. Another hard thing was that shepherds had very little family or social lives. I mean, after all, they lived with their sheep and they lived with other shepherds. These men ate and slept with lots of bang going around them. Life as a shepherd was low-keyed. An exciting development would be a baby sheep, a lamby being born, or a grown sheep being sheared, or a careless sheep being eaten by a wolf. Sheep needed 24-hour-a-day guarding and, and tending. Remember Jesus said to Peter after the resurrection, tend my sheep. Sheep tending could not, and sheep tending still cannot, be done from a distance. It can't be done by a remote. It can't be done via a middleman. My dad used to own an ambulance business in the big city of Toronto. He would describe the ambulance business this way, mostly boredom, sometimes punctuated with panic. That's a lot like shepherding. Boredom breaking into very occasional panic. Sheep are needy animals. Sheep need so much human attention because there are animals which would eat them. There are thieves which would steal them. There are insects which would aggravate them. There is weather which would weaken them, and there is bad water which would infect them. But most of all, sheep need so much attention because they themselves are dumb. <laughs> That's great. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are daydreamers. Sheep are copycats. Sheep are forgetful. Sheep are stubborn. Sheep are mischievous. Sheep are accidents waiting to happen. They need lots of maintenance. Sort of like me, right, Beth? I need lots of maintenance. The prophet Isaiah nailed it when he wrote, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. But the good news today is that a faithful Savior can make far-offs family. We were all born far-offs before a holy God. 
We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God says we earn a paycheck for falling short of his glory. It's separation from him in a place the Bible calls hell. We are far off without Christ. But God in the Savior can make far offs family. The person who recognizes this morning that they are far off from God but want to be made family would need to acknowledge before God in the privacy of their own heart, I have blown it. I am not holy. I have sinned. But that Jesus has died for me, has been raised from the dead to show that his payment for my sin retired my debt to God. And the person who is far off without Christ as Savior can right now be made family by the Savior. By transferring trust from themselves onto Jesus alone. The scripture says in John 1.14, But as many as received him, Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you're far off, without the Savior. Know that there's a faithful Savior who's able and willing to make you family. Sheep go astray. That's what they do. Reminds me of a country school teacher who was teaching her primary class mathematics. And all those school kids in the country lived and they worked on farms. She said to her class, if I have 10 sheep and one sneaks through the pen's gate, how many sheep would I have? And one kid throws up his hand to a new sheep and he said, you'd have no sheep, Miss Jones. If one got out, they'd all get out. (laughs) Sounds right. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Let's go back to these sheep. Back then, you know, sheep or any other kind of livestock was what made up most persons' wealth. The more sheep you had, the greater your balance at the bank and the greater your reputation at the coffee shop. So all sheep were valuable. But the particular sheep which these particular shepherds were guarding, they were far more valuable because these particular sheep were in very high demand to be used for a very high purpose. It is significant that where these sacrificial lambs were being pastured was so near to the place where the Lamb of God that would end all sheep sacrifices, Jesus, was born. Highly significant that these temple sacrificial sheep were being raised five and a half miles away from where the Lamb of God the Lord Jesus Christ was born. These particular sheep were being raised for the religious sacrifices in the Jews' temple. And these sheep brought a pretty penny, 
Let me tell you, they never went on sale. They were always for sale. And just like the money changers were price gouging the Passover worshipers who walked into Jerusalem without sacrificial animals, let's just say that it paid very, very well to own and to sell temple sacrifice quality sheep. Now, of course, every temple sacrifice quality lamb had to be without blemish, without limp, without disease, without a history of injuries. And that's where the shepherds of the Christmas story fit in. These men had a lot of pressure. They were charged with keeping all of their sheep grade A, firsts, not seconds, inspector improved, kosher, the best lambs that money Goodbye. Pressure. And no wonder the story says that these particular shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night. They were keeping careful watch over their flock by night. They were always extremely vigilant. The pressure was on. One more thing. These particular shepherds were grade A shepherds themselves. They had a superior knowledge of the Old Testament, and they proved themselves to be shepherds who were a cut above. It was ironic that these gifted shepherds who knew the Old Testament way better than most could never set foot in the Jewish temple to worship. Their vocation had made them ceremonially, religiously unclean outcasts. But there's a faithful Savior born that night who made them family. Here's the thing. It was like the five-and-a-half-mile walk from the pasture down to the priest changed everything for the sheep But the walk didn't change anything for the shepherds. To the Jewish religious elite, they remained lonely men and men outcast as unclean from the spiritual life of Israel. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Let's talk about the angel of the Lord. I don't imagine that those outcast shepherds had many human visitors, but I'm sure that they never had had an angelic visitor. Angels, you'll recall, are God's foot soldiers. You might say that angels are God's butlers. Angels only show up when and where God tells them to show up, and angels only say what God tells them to say. Historically, before this angelic appearance to the devout shepherds, angels appeared in other places in Scripture to other devout persons like Daniel and Zacharias and Elizabeth and Jesus' mother Mary. And just going back to the 
Christmas shepherds, will you notice first that God's one angel stood in front of the shepherds. And then God's glory surrounded the shepherds on all sides. Reminds me of Psalm 139, verse 5, which says, You have enclosed me, the psalmist says to God, You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Those Christmas shepherds were surrounded 360 degrees by the angel who stood before them and by the glory of God which surrounded them. But we have it better than the Christmas angels because since the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, for every believer in Christ, it isn't God's angel who stands before us, nor is it even God's glory that's all around us. For us who are in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is in us, within us. Glory to God. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. Let's talk about the good news. Actually, it's the best news. No news before this news was better, and no news after this news will ever be better either. And this best news ever, this great joy news, is for those who will act upon the news. If a person hears this great news of Christ coming to be the Savior and doesn't act upon that good news, they're no further ahead. But blessed for time and for eternity is the person who hears the great news that the Savior has come, born of the Virgin, sacrificed on the cross, risen from the dead, blessed for time and for eternity is the person who acts upon that by transferring their trust to the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's the acting upon the news that's key. That's what it all boils down to. It's like this. A wedding must be followed by a married life. The good news of the gospel must be followed by belief and then living in faith as a Christian after responding to the gospel. Verse 11. For today, the angel continues, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This very extremely unique and special miracle baby is identified by the angel in three ways. First, a savior. That speaks of Jesus as sacrifice. Then the angel says, he's the Christ. That speaks of Jesus as the Messiah, which the Jews have been waiting for. And then the angel says of Jesus, the Lord. That speaks of Jesus as God. The particular Greek word, here for Savior, only appears twice in the New Testament. Here in verse 11, and then again in John chapter 4, verse 42. But we should not be concerned about the rare occurrences of the word Savior, since the whole New Testament presents Jesus as being God's Savior 
for sinners without even using the word Savior except twice. It's like this. (laughs) You don't have to say ambulance when you say a boxy truck far exceeding the speed limit with flashing lights, sounding a loud siren with a stretcher inside loaded with medical equipment and being operated by paramedics. I know you're talking about an ambulance. When you read the New Testament about Jesus, you know it's talking about the Savior. Now, it's obvious that verse 11 contains the very most important Christmas word of all, Savior. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. Don't miss Savior when you mention Santa. Don't miss Savior when you set your schedule for December Christmas events. Don't miss Savior when you enjoy your holiday gatherings and conversations. Don't miss Savior. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. A sign. It was a two-part sign. It was cloths and a manger. It's like you need the right username and the right password to get on your computer. It was a two-part sign. Cloths, that was entirely common for babies born at that time in Palestine, and a manger. (laughs) Totally uncommon. So when these shepherds saw the two-part sign, a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a feeding trough, bingo, they knew. Verse 13, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, and we'll pull up at the comma, a multitude, or the scripture says in verse 13, a heavenly host. That is an innumerable number of angels. (laughs) Isn't it ironic that these cut above shepherds who were professional counters of sheep couldn't possibly count the angels? They were innumerable. It's like going to Saunders Beach and saying, how many grains of sand are there? The angels were innumerable. Jesus' arrival was a very big deal. Verse 14, this is what the angels, the host of angels, innumerable choir of angels said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Peace. Peace is a gift, church family. It's not a reward. Peace is is a gift and not a reward. And peace, the peace we're talking about here pertains to justification by God, not kindness to fellow man. I'm not against kindness to fellow men, but the scripture verse is not talking about kindness to fellow man. It's talking about justification by God, rendering peace between those who are justified by Christ, the church. The basis 
This peace with God is the basis of harmony between peace with Christians among themselves. Shame on us if we are not living at peace with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus came. Peace on earth in the church to all persons with whom he is well pleased. That's Christians. So we're not talking about Jews and Muslims and Christians getting along in the Rotary Club, although there's nothing wrong with that. No, instead, we're talking about believers in Christ loving each other, forgiving each other, esteeming each other more highly than themselves, and serving each other in love in the church, this church, and between the churches in our city who herald the true gospel. I was at Brother Ed Allen's funeral yesterday at Abundant Life. And at one point in the funeral, Pastor Rex Major, who was preaching the funeral sermon, invited all the ministers of the gospel at the service to come and to make a half circle around the casket of Pastor Allen to stand shoulder to shoulder as a picture, a visual of us carrying the gospel baton that Pastor Ed had carried so well for so many years that we would continue to equip God's people in our individual fellowships and assemblies to share the gospel with the lost. It's powerful. I'd say 30 to 40 of us circled the back of that casket that day. Here's a silly illustration. You know it's something when I call it silly before we start, right? After the miracle in Miami last Sunday, if you don't follow the NFL football, then ask someone. After the miracle in Miami, this is what this is all like. When it says, peace on earth among men with whom he is pleased, this is what that's like. It's like if only persons wearing Miami Dolphin shirts could live at peace with each other and everybody else who is not wearing a Dolphin shirt but some other kind of shirt cannot get along with anyone else in the world. Silly, huh? In this silly illustration I'm painting for you, the verse would be like this, and on earth peace among men who are wearing Miami Dolphin shirts. Men with whom God is well pleased. Christians, of course, are not all necessarily clothed in Miami Dolphin shirts, but Christians are all necessarily clothed in Christ's righteousness. And that is the basis of our peace with other Christians. They were both clothed in Christ's righteousness. We both are favored by God because of our faith in Jesus. That makes this church in no competition with any other church. That makes this church, I trust, pray for other churches that are proclaiming the gospel. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Verse 14, just read. Verse 15 and 16. And it came about that 
when the angels had gone away from them into heaven and the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. The text says, they said, go straight to No side trips, no detours, no errands along the way, no eating, no campfire philosophizing or finding substitute shepherds before they checked out the baby. Jesus, back then, was the reason for the season, and he still is. The Lord, it says in the verses, the shepherds knew beyond the shadow of any doubt who had sent the angels to them, and God's glory that surrounded them was unmistakable. They were not misguided shepherds. They were not confused shepherds. God's angel choir, innumerable in number, had pointed them, the shepherds, not to the choir, but to the choir's director, God Almighty. It says they came in haste. Imagine they did. They were running and now walking. They were running downhill. They were expecting, not doubting. They were leaving their prized sheep unattended for a time. They were risking. Really, the shepherds risked their own jobs and perhaps even their lives if anything bad happened to the flock while they were gone. But they ran in haste to meet the Savior. And once they met him, they would have to have run back to manage their sheep. You know, sometimes new things take priority over other things which were once priority. A faithful Savior makes far-offs family. Will you be with far-offs this Christmas? across the table from them, in the office party, traveling to some place where your family is? Will you be with some far-offs this Christmas? That should be your priority. The turkey, the dressing, the presents, the tree, the laughter, they're okay. But they are far distant, second, third, fourth, to seventh, to helping far-offs become family of God. We must be swift to share the gospel. The far-offs that you love may not live to next Christmas. They may not live to the end of the year. We must be swift in haste to run to this Savior and then to speak for this Savior with love, with love. Oh yes, a faithful Savior makes far-offs family. It says in the text that they found their way. The Lord didn't lead them only part of the way. The Lord led them all of the way into his will, and he's going to do the same for you and me. God is not the God of partially leading us. 
He's the God of leading us all the way. God got them past the angels to the baby. The Lord went beyond the what to the where. Which brings me back to the 20 bucks that were in my pants. Something I had that I'd forgotten that I had. Christmas treasures that you may have learned in Sunday school or other sermons or from your mommy or your daddy, your grammy, things that you knew to be treasures of the Christmas story that you forgot. We're finding them together today. Or maybe there's something that God has shown you today from the Christmas story that you never knew anything about. And the Spirit of God, using the Word of God, has taken the metal detector of God and scanned it over the sand, and you have found a treasure. Thank God. And share that treasure with people you love. In closing, there are some concepts in the verses that I have read that are precious time-tested treasures that I just want to rattle through rather quickly. The first is, the most outcast can become the most favored. And what I've seen over the years is the person who is the furthest from God in the greatest rebellion against God, when they get saved, they have the strongest love for God. Don't give up on anybody. Share Christ. Second, quiet time to think is essential for us before and after praying. Another concept, we are called sheep for good reasons. And God is the God of surprises. There's nothing boring about God. God is the God of vast surprises. The virgin, the baby, the angels, the manger. God is the God of surprises. We have it better than the angels. We have it better than the shepherds. God lives within us. And so we are called, because the Spirit of God lives in us as believers, we are called to walk in the Spirit. The normal Christian life is walking controlled by the Holy Spirit, going where he tells us to go, saying what he tells us to say, thinking what he prompts us to think. And you know what that involves? Risk. Risk. If you want to just go to heaven on a bed of roses with zero risk, then you are not following New Testament principles of the Christian life. Risk. Men of those shepherds walked away from those prized sheep to find that baby. They were risking it all to obey. We must risk it all to obey. Maybe that's saying the name of Jesus Christ at your office and your uh, boss hates Christ and you could lose your job. Maybe that's giving financially in a way that just doesn't make sense. But the Spirit of God prompts risk. Another timeless fact, our primary debt of peace 
is to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our primary debt of living at peace is to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Goodwill begets goodwill in an assembly of Christians like this one. You could say Jesus leads to justification and justification leads to church family joy. Jesus leads to justification and justification ought to lead to church family joy. When we fail to live at peace with each other in this assembly, we grieve the heart of God and we feed God's skeptics. And last, Christmas peace in our church should just be one chapter of 364 other chapters in a year. We should live with family joy at peace with each other year-round. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men and women with whom he is well pleased. Heavenly Father, thank you for the treasures. Some that we had forgotten and others that we just discovered. We pray, Heavenly Father, that this time of the year would be a time of celebration and joy, a time of love within our individual families and a time of love within our church family. We pray, Lord, that this would be a time of telling people how to get to heaven as one beggar telling another hungry person how to get bread, the bread of life. Help us, Lord, to step out of our fears, to step out of our busyness, to step out of our conveniences, to talk about Jesus and the way to heaven. And we have the joy of seeing some far-offs being made family by your great love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, the babe of Bethlehem, who became the crucified and risen Savior of Easter. Amen.